0: Welcome to the Burnout Expert podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Gaila Greenlee, who is an exceptional leader in burnout prevention and leadership enrichment. She was the CEO of a statewide trade organization. She has over 30 years of experience in business and in nonprofit management. She was a single parent with two teenagers, and she completed a master's degree while she was also working within this organization. And then when her her children moved out of the house, she really just started feeling like she had no reason to go home. And all of this is a part of Gaila's burnout journey. And through that journey, she changed careers, which we'll be diving into that as well. And she now owns her own business. It's Dandelion Leadership Coaching, where she focuses on helping leaders and emerging professionals really make confident decisions, effectively managing their stress and helping them to prevent burnout in the workplace. By doing so, these individuals that she works with can really build impactful teams and they can really foster thriving work environments. Dr. Greenlee has also written a book. It is called Knock It Off, How to Quit Being a Jerk at Work, which I love this title because <laughs> that dives into when we start getting into the moods and anger and then we uh-huh. get in the workplace and all also- the Things it's like, hmm, why are you being a jerk? Like, which piece of that puzzle Mm -hmm. is that? So I'm so excited to dive into this. The book is really helps those transform workplace dynamics and nurture positive relationships. And additionally, Gila is certified, uh, certified facilitator of appreciation at work and toxic workplace prevention and repair, which is providing valuable insight and strategies for cultivating a culture of appreciation and addressing toxic dynamics, which we know from a lot of the other episodes we've gone into that toxic dynamics at work, toxic dynamics at home, different relationships Mm -hmm. can really, really lead to burnout. So I'm excited to dive into this. So if you have ever desired change, whether it's resolving conflicts, achieving work-life balances, motivating your team, overcoming obstacles, improving organization, and combating burnout, then Dr. Greenlee is definitely here to guide you on your journey. So with that, I am so excited to have you. Welcome to the Burnout Expert podcast,
1: Gaila. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Absolutely. So let's start first with your burnout journey, because that's how all (laughs) the... So what we also find with uh, Burnett and and from past interviews that we've done is there's the point that you have your crash. Mm-hmm. But there's also all of the stuff leading up to that. Right. So where would you like to begin in and telling us your story?
1: Um you know I think that uh, for me, the burnout began when I, it was, it was going to happen once I took that CEO position. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's stresses all the time. And I had stress when I was the executive assistant at the organization. Um, But ultimately I could say, I'm not the boss. That, That was my boss's decision. I did what I was told to do and I could leave that at the door. Now, I did have some major stressors in that role because we had a toxic um, CEO for a while. And I even ended up in the emergency room seeing double and um, went into, um, they did a CT scan and MRI and everything and found lesions on my brain. They thought that I had MS and they told me that I was going to need to take some time off. And I had a panic attack when they told me that. And they said, they thought that they were helping me by telling me that. And I was like, I may lose my job. And, you know, I'm that single parent, you know, with the, with the two kids and the only one responsible for the finances. And I'm like, I can't lose my job. And, um, so they had me, uh, looking at what medications I was going to start taking for MS and just convinced that that was the issue. And then a spinal tap, came clear, I had no other symptoms, nothing else that can confirm it. And they decided that it was just stress. Mm. And um, and it has been 12 years, I think, since that time with not any other symptoms related to MS. It's been completely ruled out. Um, this then when you were in the
0: executive position before the CEO?
1: When I was the assistant, yes
0: you were already crashing then.
1: I was crashing then. Yes. Um, because of the toxicity of my boss Mm -hmm. and, um, it even came to a point where I was still having headaches, but I was coming to work. The nurse said, you should not be working full days after the spinal tap and everything you've been through. You need to be working part days and you need to go home. So I told my boss that, and she's like, well, you need to make a decision. Are you going to do what the medical professionals are telling you, or are you going to keep your job? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I went home and um, I ended up coming in and quitting uh, later. And, um, and I was doing some freelance work and without me there, the um, board started realizing her toxicity without me there to be that buffer between her and the members. And they fired her. And asked me to come back as a consultant and do their convention um, because they're like, we don't, we don't even know what to do and how to do everything. And if you don't come back and help us, we won't have a convention. So I went back on a contract labor status and, um, and everybody kept kind of twisting my arm to take that CEO position. And I was afraid to. Yeah. yeah Go ahead.
0: I was in that time that you stepped away. So as soon well, as you, I mean, that's a huge decision. as you said, you're a single parent. I yeah, mean yeah. work. Once you stepped away, I will have a couple of questions. First off, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to find contract
1: work? and how did you feel? Uh, I actually was finding things pretty quickly. Not all of them were high paying, but I was managing to make enough to maintain my executive assistant salary.
0: So you knew Uh that you were going to be okay. Right. And when we look at your symptoms, then we look at all of those stressors that you had from the moment you stepped away and then you found out you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Where were your symptoms then?
1: I didn't have any physical symptoms then. Like Um, no gut, no no.
0: sleep struggles. Like you're how was your sleep before?
1: Terrible. And and I, you know, I'd look back at what I put on social media and I'm bare embarrassed, Mm -hmm. you know, to look back at those days and see that I was that person, that every Friday I was posting, thank God it's Friday. And every Sunday I was posting, oh no, I have to go back to work. And I really don't like that kind of posting. And that's why it's embarrassing to me to look back and see that I was that Eeyore type of person at that time and didn't even realize how bad I had gotten. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that led me to realize that I needed to leave while that person was still in leadership was I realized that I was as upset in my dealings with her as I had been in my dealings with my ex-husband as I was going through divorce. Wow. That's- and yeah, and I was like, this is not right. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to my kids. And why am I allowing someone that I don't have a personal relationship with to control this much of my emotion?
0: Wow. Um, may I ask as well about your mood? So you have these kids at home. Mm-hmm. And hard, and it's already hard as a single parent that part of burnout as well is moods. Did you, how were your moods when you were in the executive assistant? Mm-hmm. How were your moods then when you um, quit and walked away? Did, did you notice a difference in your moods and your ability to handle
1: stressors at home? Definitely. Yeah. I didn't get as stressed out by the constant chatter and bickering of the, <laughs> of the kids and, and the, you know, the <laughs> And, you know, and, and it was all, there was so much that was built into it because I had, you know, I had the boss that had hired me and then she left. And then I had this toxic boss come in and I was still dealing with residual fallout from a divorce and, and then the trying to figure out what it looks like to be this parent. And, uh, and so there were a lot of stressors that were adding to it. Mm -hmm. And I probably could have handled things better had the, Boss not been so tech toxic. And then, you know, and I'll save it right here for down the road, all the things that I learned after leaving the CEO position yeah. that had I had those tools earlier would have helped. Yes. But we can come back to those as we.
0: we will for sure. <laughs> now that's closer to that. Yeah. To dive into. <laughs> no. Okay. So now you actually were in burnout in that executive assistance position mm-hmm. now that we're diving into. Yeah. It. And
1: I had completely forgot about that when we first started talking.
0: <laughs> Me too. And this is what I want people to acknowledge too, is when you're going through the mock, when you're going through all of this and these stresses are happening and like mm-hmm. divorce itself, mm-hmm. is not easy. Usually yeah. with a divorce comes a move, which we often say as well, that, that uh, a, a new job position mm-hmm. moving, Or, well, becoming a parent, um, divorce, moving, change of jobs are like some of your top three stressors that you come Mm -hmm. into play. And you had a bunch of those hitting you.
1: I did. This
0: burnout was happening before that that Mm -hmm. I'm making an assumption, but if you were going through a divorce as well, there's been years of stress at home as well, which meant that when you left work, you were Mm -hmm. not coming home to a place that felt safe for you either. Right,
1: right. Mm -hmm. So
0: there were most likely like other symptoms. So how long had your sleep been off track?
1: I don't even remember anymore because it had been so long.
0: Yeah. Like, did it get to the point where you just thought your sleep was almost normal because it was just what your everyday was?
1: Yeah. 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 trouble getting to sleep. And then once I got to sleep, I had trouble getting up, waking up, getting around, but you know, I had those kids I had to, right and I had, I had started a really good exercise routine and that was helping me a lot. But then I was still married at the time. And my, my husband at that time was not stepping up to, you know, he said he was going to watch the kids while I went to the gym, but then he didn't. And so then I ended up having to drop out of that Kickboxing program that I was in, and um, and then you know it was shortly after that that he ended up moving out, and we ended up dealing with all of the other stuff. And so then you know I started gaining weight and um, not sleeping, not eating properly, doing a lot of comfort eating. But then when I had after he was gone and when things had kind of gotten settled down, I had started working at a at a church as a publications um, editor. And I had a really good team of people that I worked with there. Mm -hmm. And we, a couple of us started a diet and exercise program and we'd challenge each other with our drinking water and and whoever got there first filled the other one's jug. And, you know, and we'd be like, oh, I'm halfway down. And, you know, we just really encouraged and helped each other. So there was a a lot of healing from the divorce at that time, plus getting into good physical shape. Yeah. Um, But um, so I had that benefit going into the executive uh, assistant position, and I really did enjoy it until we had that toxic leader come in.
0: So if I'm understanding correctly, you were eating healthier, you were exercising, you had a group of peers that were motivating Mm -hmm. you and yeah. Feed, you were doing other habits with the water and all that stuff. All the things they say we should be doing, right. to get yes. out of burnout. And once yes. this extra stress of this toxic environment came into play, so you, that actually was helping you get out of the burnout and the stress from the divorce. Exactly. Other big stress hit, those mm-hmm. tools were not helping you anymore.
1: Right. Well, it was easy to let them go that too. Then I wasn't doing, I wasn't eating as well. I wasn't exercising as much. Mm -hmm. And I started isolating a little bit more because I was focused on getting work done and getting school done and getting, taking care of my kids. So I wasn't interacting with those friends as much as I had been.
0: So you just said isolating as well. And we've done a whole bunch of interviews so far. And that is one that we actually haven't talked about. And now Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about it, I in my burnout too, because you're feeling yeah. crap and you have yeah. no energy, like right, milk, and you're tapped out that you just can't even deal with a like. I remember the brain fog that when somebody mm-hmm. would speak to me, it would take so much energy to process what they just said, and then why yeah. that sometimes before I'd even replied forget what they'd even said to me. Mm-hmm. That I struggled to have simple conversations. Mm. Yeah. I isolated for that. Plus my moods. I was like yeah. saying yeah. all the small mm-hmm. things got to me and that mm-hmm. isolate. That's one that we have not mentioned recently. So I'm glad you brought that one up.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it'll come, it'll come up more as we get into the CEO part, part yeah. of things. So let's dive into the CEO. So, part. Yeah. So, you know, after leaving that executive um, assistant position and having a couple of months, where I was doing my own thing and and relaxing and stuff, then, you know, coming back to the association and being asked to apply for that role was, you know, I really struggled on whether I should do that or not. And I had a lot of good counsel from, from previous bosses that knew my abilities from friends. And I was encouraged to go for it. And I was told, you know, you'll set the organizational Tone, you know, you'll set your boundaries, and you'll be as stressed as you choose to allow yourself to be. And um, and so for a while, everything went really well, and I loved it. And I just dove right into that job, and and I I um, I really did well with it, and I made a lot of new friends, and I grew, and um, and really enjoyed it a lot. But. Things from my childhood and that past of being a people pleaser, um, oldest child of an alcoholic and, you know, and that always wanting to keep the peace and and stuff, um, started to weigh on me because I did not set the boundaries that I should have set. So I was allowing myself to be available to my leadership at times when I really should have had some boundaries. And the way I looked at it was they're all volunteers. I'm the paid employee. They're volunteers. They have their jobs to do. So if they need to do board work at 6 a.m., then I need to respond to them. Or if they need to do board work at 9 p.m., you know, I need to respond to them. And that was on me. No one asked me to do that. That was me forgetting to put my own boundaries in place.
0: And not necessarily forgetting just not ever being taught. Right. Yeah. If we are going back to, as you said, like, uh, um, a child's childhood trauma mm-hmm. with an alcoholic as well, depending on what does happen. I know, from like my own experience, it was where anger came out a lot that I lost my voice, I learned oh, that if I was, yeah. quieter, I got yelled right. at. And mm-hmm. Also not wanting to do anything to rock the boat. Yes, that definitely. Cause you to lose your voice mm-hmm. to be, um, just, you're actually protecting yourself mm-hmm. by not setting boundaries, right? Yeah. Cause you're protecting what you learned as a childhood, but as you're an adult now, see mm-hmm. now that, oh, you know, I, I'm not in that situation anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Boundaries. So we didn't know. And we also use them as a protective mechanism. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's very valid. And, you know, my dad did end up getting help and he has not. He has been sober for. 40, over 40 years.
0: Amazing.
1: Um, but, you know, I did definitely as the oldest child, I felt it was my responsibility to help my mom, help my little sisters, keep the house clean, do my chores, make sure my homework was done. If I was the good girl, you know, then nobody could be upset about anything and everything would be good. And then I carried that into my marriage, you know, well, if I'm just thin enough, keep my hair long enough, keep the house clean enough, do all these things, then he'll love me and, you know, and unhealthy, unhealthy coping me- mechanisms.
0: Yeah. Um, I do want to switch the wording though, on it being a coping mechanism and more of a protect- good point
1: very good point. That's
0: the thing like as well this week, I know uh, I was speaking with a friend as well. We were doing something, um, and she was saying self-sabotage and the coaches were like, it's not self-sabotage it's protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. And we can even go into alcoholism and even look at it in a sense of they um, or somebody like smoking pod or, or doing drugs, they're doing it to numb themselves, (laughs) which is very true. It's protecting themselves from, from something that's happened in their life. Now that does affect the other people around them. And it doesn't mean that the drinking or the drugs or anything is great. But when we start to look at it as to what are you protecting yourself from, it starts to change that narrative and allow us to look at that thing, not as like a bad habit, even anorexia, bulimia. I'm reading a book right, right. now. that's totally talking about all of this. And it is saying all of these things, anorexia and bulimia is usually protecting a part of you Mm. was in a trauma at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. Once we start going, okay, what is this protecting you from? Mm -hmm. It changes how we look at it and how we work with it. Instead of trying to get rid of it, we're trying to, we start working on what it is it protecting
1: and how do we it's protecting.
0: So, yeah, sorry,
1: that went off. A no, that's great. No, it's really good information. And yeah, um, but, but so the, the, I loved the job. I thrived in it while my kids were at home. I loved my life at home. Uh, my kids had friends over all the time. We were always doing something. We also would travel and, and, you know, go out to the country for other events and things. So I kept a fairly good balance for quite a while. Hmm. Um, but then it was getting to the point where I was allowing myself to be available to everyone at all times. So then everybody needed a piece of me yes. and, and, and I felt like, you know, I had my staff, I had local board association executives across the state. I had my, my, my executive team, you know, and, and, and so I felt like I was facilitating everyone else and doing their job during the day. And then I would finally do my stuff after five. And once my kids were out of the house and the last pet had passed away, you know, then it became that, well, you know, I might as well stay till nine o'clock at night and get this work done. I might as well get ahead of the game. I might as well load my staff's desks up, you know, so that we come in the morning, they know what they're doing and they're all prepared. I've signed everything, done everything I needed to do. And, um, and then go home and take a little more work home with me, and sit in front of the TV and and uh, continue to work. And that was not sustainable.
0: <laughs> um, not sustainable, or even not—it's not fulfilling no. all of your buckets. It's filling one bucket, right?
1: It's exactly. Like
0: this job that you do love to do, and you love right. to people, and you love to. <laughs> your staff and be organized, and but it's not filling those other buckets. Exactly. That's
1: exactly what happened. Yeah. And I used to love to do yoga and I was doing that some, but I had pulled away from doing that. I don't even remember now why, but, um, you know, yoga was something that is still something that, you know, when you're focused on holding a pose and you're focused on that one spot in front of you to keep in tree pose or something, you cannot be thinking about that email you need to respond to, or the phone calls that you need to make or anything like that. You have to be in the moment. And so I have found that to be a very helpful and healing, um, practice for me.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing when, when we do look at leadership as well, every promotion that you have, every promotion Mm -hmm. comes with, more responsibility for those yeah. that are under you yes. and then have to answer to whoever's above you and when you're at the mm-hmm. top you're still as you said answering to a board exactly. right so yes. it's not like even at the top with with many if it's a government position you're still answering to like the political side and to mm-hmm. whoever is like giving the money to the government um, organization, if you're like it, it is you, there still is some sort of a pull even from the person yeah. at the top as to what they yeah. have to do and how they have to operate right. And every time you go up, you're just in charge of more and more mm-hmm. under you. Right. there's more yeah. and more placed on your shoulders. But and it- that
1: was something that was happening with the organization as well as that the organization was expanding.
0: Oh, man. But yes. my
1: staff wasn't expanding. Yes. So we purchased a building that we were major owners in, which put me on their, the building board. And it put me on as the treasurer with them. And... You know, and then we were trying to lease out some of the offices that we had. So then I'm being a property manager and, you know, it was just a lot of things getting added. And um, and then, like I said, with not having the, the proper boundaries and it's just being available to people all the time, um, I started being sick every New Year's Eve. Uh, and my doctor explained it as that I was literally running on adrenaline and that once, once I took a couple of days off, my body would catch up and I would crash and I would get sick. And, um, and then I also had pneumonia, um, over one of those holiday breaks. And then, um, in near the end of my time at this, as the CEO, I got pneumonia, uh, a walking pneumonia. It was um, atypical pneumonia. I had gone to, I was trying to get to working out again, trying to take control of, of my health. And um, I went, was meeting with a personal trainer early in the morning before work, and I just couldn't even get through the warm up. And she's like, "This is not normal. I think you need to see your doctor." And as I was driving home, I fell asleep at a stop, at a stop sign. Fortunately, I lived out in the country. There wasn't a lot of traffic, but that scared me, you know? And then I drove into my garage, shut the car off and fell back to sleep in the car. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did make an appointment with my doctor and uh, they were looking at things like heart stresses, you know, they did a stress test, did an EKG, you know, they're, they're looking at all of these things. And finally it was through an x-ray that they found that I had atypical pneumonia. I wasn't running a fever. I wasn't coughing, uh, you know, I didn't have any of those things, those symptoms, but I did have atypical pneumonia. And uh, I, ref- and this again, it was on me. I did not take any time off and I continued to travel with my job and continued to work. I just, you know, take a little nap on the couch in my office and then get back to it. And uh, one of my board members and I attended some meetings in Arizona, and the past president of our national organization was one of the speakers. And when I had first met him, he was tall and strong and healthy. And after his time as the president of this national organization, he had a heart attack. He started having health issues. So he was at this meeting literally sitting to speak and having an oxygen mask and taking it off to speak and then putting it back on. And his speech was on how we need to put on our own oxygen mask before we can help others and that we need to take care of our own health or we can't take care of anybody else. And that just really started speaking to me. And then I started seeing a counselor again, someone I had seen through my divorce and I was talking to my family and I created this plan that I was going to work for two more years. That would put me at um, an even number in my age. It would put me at 12 years at the organization. And my life can kind of be divided up in 12s in so when you look back through patterns. And so I thought, well, I'll just live on one paycheck and um, put the other one in the bank. And at, by the end of that two years, I would have you know, a full year of, of income stored up, I'd have no debt and and then I could leave the position. But I just kept not feeling well, being getting more. Uh, I I was not handling the stresses as well. obviously. So then you say the moods, the personality. I'm ten, I, ten, I am more of a feeler. Um, make decisions based on the best for all people. And I was moving into that thinker mode, which I learned about afterwards. I didn't recognize it at the time, but I became more callous. I didn't um, respond in the ways that were normal for me and um, didn't handle little things as well as I would have in the past. And just was finally was like, I can't keep doing this. And my the counselor said to me, Um, well, my dad first back up a minute, my dad had said, why that, why 2017, why not 2016? And I said, well, because this will give me time to save up money. And he says, I'm not sure that's the best thing for you. So then I was talking to my counselor and she said, I would have to agree with your dad. She said, I really think that if you don't leave this level of stress that you're under some, you're going to need someone else to take care of you instead of you taking care of everyone else. And so with a lot of fear, <laughs> but so tired, I almost didn't care anymore. I went ahead and put in my resignation, um, sent it in in October um, to do a December 31st end date. And so from being diagnosed with atypical pneumonia, the end of July to the end of December, when I finally left, I did not miss a single day of work and went on seven trips and yeah. trained my replacement.
0: and. I uh, what was in my mind when you were thinking when you were saying that like New Year's Eve holidays is when mm-hmm. you got sick. I'm like you didn't mention any vacations. I'm like I'm like, and I know your position had
1: vacation days. Yes, yeah. there were times that I lost vacation mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't use it. Yep, um, and my and the the boss before me, not the toxic boss, but the one before who had hired me. She never took more than a couple of days at a time away. And because she, and she, so something that she taught me was that the organization couldn't survive two weeks without the CEO is basically the message that was given. So I wouldn't take extended vacations. I would take a day or two here or a three-day weekend. You know, I'd take a day off to make a three-day weekend. I'd take little bits and pieces here and there. But the final year that I I was there, I did, um, I had an opportunity come up, you know, I'd I'd done my master's degree in journalism. And I was at meetings in DC. And I was sitting, you know, I had a little break and was sitting with a friend who was also on my board and looking at my emails. And I said, Oh, one of my professors is doing a writer's um, conference. it would be really fun to get to go meet him because I did my whole master's online and then I looked a little further and he was doing it in Ireland. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, I can't go. And she's like, why not? And I'm like, because it's in Ireland. I can just drop everything and in two months go to Ireland. And she's like, why not? I know you have vacation you haven't used. Mm-hmm. She's Like, do you have, you have money and savings, right? And I was like, well, yeah. Yes. So she's like, apply, do it. Because they only took 10 people. So I did. And within the hour I was accepted in, and I was still only going to take that week. Yeah. And then my brother-in-law was like, why are you only going to take a week? You're going to Ireland for the first time. Take two weeks. You've got the vacation time. And so I did. And it was the most wonderful experience um, and so peaceful and calming. I, I'd always thought I didn't want to travel internationally by myself, but I did. And it was fabulous. It was like one of the best things I've ever done in my life.
0: Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I've done some traveling by myself. It's so fast. It's so much fun. Yeah. yeah, It's fascinating when you say this about the vacation and that, because as my business has grown and I'm bringing on, on team members, Mm -hmm. I'm make sure that we have operating procedures in place that if any of them are sick or any of them, and I'm like, guys, this isn't so that people will replace you. I'm like, you're not like, they're specialized in what they do. Like somebody who's yeah. just say editing my podcast. I have my VA, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if you have everything written down step-by-step step and the links that they use, mm-hmm. that way you can go away, exactly. that way can go on a vacation. And, and hopefully we can have stuff done ahead of time and be planned mm-hmm. that, that none of us have to step in, but what if, and and it happened to one of my employees as well, that one point where um, there was an illness with one of their family members. And I'm like, go, we have your operating procedures. Mm-hmm. We will all as a team step in and take this for you while you're gone. And, but it's fascinating because I have to encourage them to take vacation. I have to talk yeah. to, them to be like we, this is why we have these operating procedures. It, this is mm-hmm. why, here is so that you can, but the mentality nowadays, yeah, it's the mentality. It's all over, and it's just that we have to. That, as I believe, we're going to be getting into is creating better work environments, less yes. toxic environments. Yes. One of yes. Is is starting to change some of these mindsets.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: of of like when you have vacation, take it, and that doesn't mean. Uh, for some, it may be helpful to do a lot of your to-do list and your jobs around the house, but mm-hmm. give yourself also time in there to actually right. do something or go away, do mm-hmm. a staycation. But a staycation doesn't mean you're still helping everybody else and doing right. it, hacking your emails and all of that stuff.
1: Exactly. And that was one of the things that I had to learn. Um, and I did learn it through the burnout and and so it was that, you, you need to truly regroup. Uh, you need to talk. And that means turning off the emails, mm-hmm. to turning off the text messages, you know, or whatever, because that would happen. I'd take some, I'd take a week off and I'd get a text message about something going on and I'd instantly be back in and I'd be mad and mm-hmm. stuff. And then one of the people that had sent a text one time, I was like, seriously, could you, this was at the, really at the end of the burnout. And I was not responding how I normally would have, but I was like, seriously, I can't even take a week off without you guys dragging me into your bickering. Mm-hmm. So, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to make sure that you knew what was going on. I didn't expect you to answer. I just the loop. yeah, And I was like, An email would have been better because I turned my email off, but, and then I regretted that I had been so sharp with her. And that was so out of character for me, but Mm -hmm. that's where I was at, at that point where the least little thing. Yeah.
0: And at the time though, I mean, you did say that you felt bad after, Mm -hmm. but are there times that you now look back at yourself in leadership where you You would have sworn up and down that it was the other person's fault, that it was the other person doing something. But as you got out of burnout, you started realizing, oh, maybe that was me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was that too. You know, how I responded to things, how I got upset about something that perhaps they didn't even intend it to be something to be upset. So for those
0: that are listening right now, I do want you to start thinking about that if somebody is bringing to your attention, somebody that, 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 maybe you're being a little more upset about things or more Mm -hmm. frustrated and you're looking at them going, what are you crazy? Like this person did do this, or this did happen. And you're getting really riled up about that situation Mm -hmm. to maybe it, it is so hard in the moment. And it is something that until you're out of burnout to really sit and look back, but take that right now maybe from a different view and go and ask somebody else that you truly trust, you truly trust their opinion and just say, Hey, this just happened. I, somebody on this podcast about burnout said that this is a burnout sign. I have other symptoms. I'm swear up and down. that It is this other person that is totally at fault. And I should be angry at this, but I trust you. What do you think? Like, ask them in that moment right now. I I mean, that is one of the best things. And if that person you trust is saying, Hmm, Mm -hmm. maybe you are burnt out. Yeah. Then it, maybe it is time to start implementing the steps. There
1: would be times that I would have someone else read a text or read an email and say, am I taking this completely wrong? Good Uh, And, um, and there were times that they'd say, yeah, I wouldn't put so much emphasis on that. I don't think it really means anything. Yeah. Um, I'd still stew on it. I'd still have it going in the back of my mind. And I'd still be like, well, was that person right? Or am I right? Or, you know, (laughs) and it was harder for me to let things go. Yes. In the depth of the burnout, I took things more personally. And then I ran it over and over in my head. And how should I have responded? How could I have responded better? Or, you know, things like that. And I just, I couldn't just let it roll off and move on to the next thing.
0: Yes. And so for two things for that one is social media. We mm-hmm. find that myself included when I was in burnout, I needed to comment on people's posts. I needed to have my, <laughs> my voice heard by these people, even though in other aspects, I didn't feel like I have a voice, but on social yeah. media, I sure did. I was just <laughs> and pulled in and, and there'd be these long comments and, and, it was this whole thing. And the other part too, is I also felt like I needed to control my environment more, the way people did things. Mm. So the way my husband
1: loaded the dishwasher, the way. Uh, yeah. Clothes. Yeah. Cause when the rest of your life is out of control, you control what you can control,
0: right? No, <laughs> that bowl should not be placed this way in the dishwasher. You can't organize a dishwasher. Like it's just the silliest things. My gosh, he's doing the dishwasher. He's probably going to start it. And once it's done, he, he empties it more than I do. So why does it matter? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's burnout is amazing. Okay. So we have you now you've gotten to the point in December where you have decided to step away.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so I did, you know, I did step away with the intent of starting a, starting this business that I have now, uh, but with a different name and that was my intent. And I started getting business cards and I started getting things, but then I just found that I didn't have the physical energy. to be doing anything. And I was sleeping a lot. And I was still overly sensitive to people's comments. And then I was thinking, well, I haven't accomplished enough. You know, it's been three months since I left, or it's been six months since I left, or however many months. And I'm like, you know, I need to make people proud of me. I need to Prove that I had a good reason to leave and that I'm doing better things and, and stuff. And I mentioned it to one of my, my past board members, when I saw him a year later, I said something about, well, I haven't done enough yet to, to be proud of, of me. And he said, what are you talking about? He's like, I have always been proud of you for you. You were always a, a an excellent person and, and an achiever and, you're the one that's putting this on you. None of the rest of us are thinking anything about what you're doing out there since you left. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I had to. And then I started learning more about burnout. I started realizing, yeah, I this is really what I had. Um, and real learned that it can take a year or more to re re to to heal from burnout. They
0: say a month for every year you were in burnout.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. (laughs) So for me, it was a minimum of a year before I really started feeling like I could make good solid decisions again, that I could um, get out and, and create new things. And as that, and where that led to was me going back to school to get my doctorate. Uh, It was something i had always wanted to do, but I'd always told myself that I didn't need to, or I was too old, or I, you know, I wouldn't get my return on investment uh, if I went and did it. And I had a lot of people that would say, if it's something you want to do, do it. Um, You know, what difference does it make if you go and make a lot of money afterwards? It's an accomplishment for you. And I had a friend that's about 10 years older than me. That, Cause I kept saying, well, I'll be 53 by the time I graduate, you know, I'll be, you know, that's too old. And she's 10 years older than me. And she said, you're going to be 53, no matter what, do you want to be 53 wishing you'd gotten a doctorate yes. or 53 with a doctorate? I love that. And uh, so I ended up going ahead and doing it. And I did not, I put working on hold for the most and I I lived off of savings and some investments that I had and I did work part time for a friend at a at a clothing store something that I didn't have to put a lot of mental and emotional energy into I could do a good job there and then and walk away and go home mm-hmm. and so I did that you know I I'd call it my you know pay the electric bill job you know and um and that just helped me to be able to do that degree and write the book and, and things, and then be able to start laying the groundwork for the business I have now. But through that, I learned so much about myself Mm -hmm. and how I'm wired, how, what are my stressors, why they're my stressors, how I can counteract that or, or, or adjust my thinking or adjust my behaviors to not get to that in the red zone burnout or or stress level um, that I finally, I started realizing. And as I was going through my doctorate and specializing in leadership coaching, I started realizing had I had a coach and had I had someone to listen to, because you know, when you're in a role like that, you can't talk to your staff. I didn't feel like I could talk to my peers, too many people, talk about it with other people and, and the organization I was in, even though it was large, it was small, if that makes any sense. Um, and, um, and then I really couldn't talk to my executive committee or my board members because it would end up, it would end up in my evaluation at the end of the year. Yes. And, um, and then I didn't have a spouse at home. And, um, so I didn't have anybody that I could really talk some of these things out with. And I learned as an extrovert talking things out is part of what I do. And I learned that, you know, and I beat myself up a lot for, well, I wasn't strong enough. I didn't, you know, if I'd have been stronger, if I had had better boundaries, if I had been smarter, better, whatever, I would have handled that job better and I wouldn't have burned out. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned is that extroverts brains, they've done brain scans and they've shown that extroverts brains are, are, connected to the talking process. So because I myself
0: though as an extrovert, I'm way more introverted. I like Mm -hmm. fun, but my love
1: which is is that conversation is that deep that quality time with people. Right. But so what I realized when I learned that I'm physically made this way, Mm -hmm. that I need to talk things out. Yes. That gave me some permission you know, to, and, and you still have to be careful with confidentiality and, you know, just going on and on and on with never changing anything can be unhealthy, you know, so you have to learn those boundaries and those balances. But when I learned that it was okay that I had needed someone to talk things out with, because I was physically made that way, then I started to realize all of these things that if I, I believe that if I had had a coach, if I had had that safe space to talk things through, yeah, I may not have reached that level of burnout.
0: Right. And, and I do want to say as well, that you mentioned that you didn't have a spouse. Mm -hmm. The thing though, is that our spouse, even if we do have one at home,
1: that's what, yeah.
0: Yeah, they may not understand. Like, so you're in a CEO position. Same thing. Like, so I'm an entrepreneur. My husband's a police officer. Right. Very different roles at work. How things happen. Yeah. How they are. That when I'm talking like lead magnets and funnels and right and about all of the things like managing and hiring and firing and just all mm-hmm. of this that is, is encompassed like all my payroll and all of these things. Sometimes his mm-hmm. head just spins. And as right. much trying that I do, find that having that coach. That mm-hmm. understands my entrepreneurial right. side and all of the struggles that an entrepreneur can have is mm-hmm. very important. I also have somebody because I homeschool a two E child, mm-hmm. so I also have somebody. I have a, a network and a group that I, that helps support for that because unless you have a two E child, you <laughs> you don't know what it's like. <laughs> like I yeah. thought, it's like ah. You know, I had neighbors with an autistic child or an ADHD, and or like different things. I'm like, oh, I get this, but now we're getting to like ODD and PDA and all of these different things that go along with this two e giftedness, where like my son's brain goes so friggin' fast that yeah. I have to put instructions for homeschooling on video so he can two x the speed so his brain can do it. Because if I go too slow, he can't manage it. Mm-hmm. So I have like, and that's stuff that not everybody's going to get, so right? That coach that mm-hmm. has that expertise, like you have in that space of yes. being a CEO, of yes. being an executive assistant, of mm-hmm. um, being as well like a parent to kids while being in this mm-hmm. corporate environment, of working as well. It's different in nonprofits as well. Yes. As corporate side and having that knowledge to bring to the table. That when somebody's saying something, you understand the language they're speaking. As exactly. Well. Yes.
1: yes. Husband is like, I. What does that mean? Or right? You know, okay. Yeah. So, no. And that's an excellent caveat. And <laughs> you know that yes, it's nice to have the spouse that you can kind of unwind and talk with, but you also want to have that boundary and that yes. balance that you're not exhausting your spouse. Yes, everything, and they're like, "Can we talk about something besides your job?" <laughs> <laughs> right? And anyway, so we all
0: have different things. We have different like parts to ourselves, different pieces. Mm-hmm. You have the spouse in you. You have the parent in you. Right. You have the um the career person in you. Yes. you yes. All different people, and getting a coach to understand those different types of people. Um. So. Mm-hmm. As with what you do, we have, so my background with first responders as well, that's such a different world. Absolutely. Yeah, there's this one gentleman that I always refer to when somebody is, would like to retire out or Mm is ready to, or needs to be medicaled out or burnt out or wants to leave the job for other reasons. His, he was 30 years in policing and now works in like the corporate world and private, that he is able to help them transition from the one into the other resumes are different. The way you speak in interviews is manage yourself, the way your life looks is so different. Mm -hmm. He transitions with that. And what you do is transitioning with your coaching with, with people that speak your language, your Mm -hmm. such a vast knowledge in and knowledge of the burnout
1: piece as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I did have one uh, one client say to me one time, she said, you're the perfect coach for me because you're about five years ahead of me in everything I'm going through. Right. Yes. And so she felt heard and mm-hmm. understood. And yep. that's an important part of, of coaching, I think, to be able to make that personal connection with someone.
0: Absolutely, and, and that's it. When we're looking at a coach, it really does have to be that right fit for us, right, right. Just because it's a great fit for somebody else doesn't mean that's right. the right fit for us, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So, man, okay, I think <laughs> we have been we've been talking for quite a while. Yes. I did want to touch on some of the toxic workplace. So, yes, if we have. Let's say we have. I'm, are you good for time? Cause I know we have gone yeah. Okay.
1: I'm fine. It's, you know, this is your show. So
0: <laughs> I know. But I just want to make sure we've got, yeah. Your yeah. Uh, but this is so good. So this toxic workplace is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. If we were to go back and you said earlier that if you were to go back with tools, you know, now mm-hmm. you would have first off, been able to recognize things. This is going to be a two part question. First off, recognize things that were occurring in you. We may have already covered a lot of that and tools that you had. Mm -hmm. What tools would have been maybe your top, I guess it depends on what's going on, but with you working with clients, are there certain tools that come up frequently Mm -hmm. that really help your clients? So two part, what would you have seen differently Mm -hmm. that you now know with what you do? And what tools are, are really helpful in a toxic workplace or a leadership workplace?
1: Okay. So, um, so one thing towards the end of the time that I was at the association, we were doing some leadership training and I had always found that love languages really helped me in my personal lives. And I was wanting to know, how can I incorporate this in the workplace? And, and I didn't, have anything at that time, but I have as right at the time that I left, I found the, um, five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's, it came from Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the five love languages. And then he started having so many people asking him, how can I apply this at work that he then partnered with Dr. Paul White, whose experiences in organizational culture and workplace management and that sort of thing. So they wrote the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Mm -hmm. As I went through that to get certified, I learned that 79% of people who quit their jobs quit because they do not feel appreciated. Wow. And, and I had even, I have to admit, gotten to some of that of why am I working so hard? Why am I missing school dances and granddaughter's second birthday? And, you know, why am I missing these things for work? Why am I putting so much of my personal life on hold to be able to do this job really well? So then I started getting a little bit of resentment. Mm -hmm. And I know that people did appreciate me. But when you're in that burnout phase of things and you're tired already, and then, you know, and then you start looking for the slights. I mean, you don't maybe consciously look for them. But you become more sensitive and you start thinking, oh, well, they don't really appreciate me if they only knew how much I'm doing, if they only knew how much I'm sacrificing. (laughs) And so by learning those appreciation languages and that it's everybody feels appreciation in different ways, you know, like I may be speaking words of affirmation to you all day long and maybe that's not what fills you up. Maybe yes. it's acts of service or something, you know? And so it's that giving authentic appreciation in a way that the other person best receives it, mm-hmm. that can fill that emotional tank yes. you know, and, and keep them moving forward going, okay, you know, when you, we know we're appreciated, it's easier to kind of release some of the stress because we know that we have a common goal and we know that we're working together and we're all appreciating each other. Amazing. So that's one phase. The other is that once I knew knew that and started meeting those people, then I started getting into a a group of people that someone said, Hey, have you ever heard of type coach? I think you'd really be interested in that. So I started looking into it and it's much, it's based on, it's a personality type based on the Jungian personality types, which Myers-Briggs does Uh, but it takes it to a different level of doing more of an adaptive communication. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by learning about our own personality, uh, our own personality and learning about the other personality traits, we can start to adapt our our communication to be most effective with Mm -hmm. other people. And by learning that and becoming certified in that, then I, I took the opportunity to become master certified where I started learning about personality type and stress, personality type and conflict, personality type and change. And there are all these ways that the way we're wired, we have different things that will cause us stress than maybe our neighbor does, uh, or different ways that we respond to things, different ways that we're challenged. And when we understand those things, we can give ourselves more grace And we can give others more grace and we can learn to to work better together.
0: Absolutely. And that's so fascinating that you say that too, about all the reactions to things as well, because so my son's nervous system is stressed. Mm -hmm. That's part of of the issues that we have, which is fascinating because I work on nervous systems. So he's not as heightened in states as many of these other kids that we do. But the other night, and he's been doing so well at just, Instantly going from zero to 100 with like, yeah. and um, but something happened the other night, and uh, my husband just went into his room to say good night and he yelled at him. And so, we know that's his nervous system kicking in that put him from zero to 100. Mm-hmm. Mean to at all, he's not well, mean. To. right? We're working on it, but my husband, because of certain, well, this is a, is a, is a like. I guess a trauma thing, like growing up his fight or freeze. Mm -hmm. So that would be part of too, how people are under stress and people are. under Mm -hmm. Right. So he shuts down, Mm -hmm. but stairs muttering and then came into the room Mm -hmm. and, uh, kind of closed the bedside table a little bit loudly, which is something he never does. Like my husband is the most gentle, calmest Mm -hmm. man, but that was his like freeze. And then he's like, Oh, you know, like kids yelling at me too. And Mm -hmm. that was getting him riled up. And then I got upset at him because I realized I was protecting my kids because of being yelled at from my childhood, right? Mm -hmm. And so three different reactions. Right. And I realized it. And the next day I spoke with my kids about it and explained Mm -hmm. to them, I was upset because our bedroom is right beside my one son. He heard me yell at my husband. This is why I yelled. This is is what happened. This is where we're doing and explain it to my husband the next day. And that's something too, he's working on dealing with the freeze part. And my mm-hmm. other son, we're, we're also acknowledging The Gap in the Gain being one of my favorite books where um, we often as goal-oriented people are right. only focusing on the end goal and missing all of these gaps, like mm-hmm. all of the steps getting there and how much fun right. son has made. We mm-hmm. need to acknowledge how much progress he's made. Yeah system. And I've also been working on that protective part in me with that community. Mm-hmm. So, and all of that would show up in that, that stress result that you're saying too, so mm-hmm. that we how to be working with each other instead of me getting mad at him when
1: he fruit- right. Exactly.
0: Stuff. So it is, it's so fascinating in really understanding all of that. And I do that when I hire people too, as I get them to do one of those tests to see right. what's their personality like. How will I need to be communicating with them, working with them? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Work, which makes for such a better business environment. It really
1: does. And, you know, I did use some of that with my staff and I found that um, I was the only SJ. So when you get into the temperaments, the SJ temperament is responsible. That's their number one driver. That's what makes an SJ keep getting up in the morning is that need to be responsible and be seen as responsible. Mm -hmm. Well, then all of my staff were SPs. So they, so we all have that sensor where we're detail oriented. You know, we, we take in from our senses and we take in all that raw data, but the perceiver has a totally different relationship to time Mm -hmm. than the judger. And so then when you put it together as a Um, as the temperament, the SP temperament are the experiencers. Yes. So, they want to have experiences along the journey. They want to have some fun while they're getting things done. They're more laid back. They're like, Yeah, we know the deadline's coming. We'll get it done. And the SJs over here, no, no play till the work is done. And, you know, and, and we've got a checklist. Let's get this done. And
0: you know. in workplaces as well, what I do find is that when you don't know all of these different types and the different roles and positions, then tend to hire the one type that Mm -hmm. we
1: that we most relate to.
0: We do. And then we end up getting all of these people in our environment, they're all the same type, which different types do different jobs in a different way Mm -hmm. and a different personality. So we end up getting these people with a certain type in the wrong position. Mm-hmm. As for their personality type or we're dealing with them wrong or like if you have everybody of one type, then you're missing out on different views and ways and doing that can really excel a business as well.
1: Exactly. and that's it we talk about a couple of things when I do the type coach trainings is that one, all types can do all jobs. Yeah. it's just you know, it's like we're left we all have a right hand and a left hand, one we prefer. yeah, and we're better at. But if we practice, we can use that other hand a lot better. So in a role that maybe we might not think somebody would be suited for, if that's an interest to them and they want to put the effort into stretching and getting better at it, they can do the job. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that we make assumptions about other people based on our type. So then we get, we can get angry with people. We can get frustrated. And the majority of conflict that happens in a workplace is because of a difference in type. Yeah, that we are just approaching things differently. We're seeing it differently, we're reacting differently. And then to what you said about the, the hiring the same types of people, you know, we we're so focused on having um diversity in our workplaces. And that's important and, and to be celebrated, but we also need to look at that neural d- yes. diversity. Yes. And and, ha- and make sure that we're getting that kind of diversity in our work teams as well.
0: Because when you get different types looking at one project from Mm -hmm. the viewpoint, the way that you can all work together and strengthen that project is phenomenal. Instead of everybody having one lens and looking through. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's some of the stuff that I do in my trainings is how do we have effective team meetings? How do we innovate? How do we do all these things with the different personalities and how, and, and using these different personality types to be more successful?
0: Yeah. And so just a quick example is pop- popping in my mind too, is parenting.
1: Yeah. It's
0: fascinating. I it
1: hugely as a parent.
0: Right. Like you think <laughs> that, I don't know. I always grew up thinking that whoever I married is going to parent the exact same way I do and have the same <laughs> strategies and all of these things. And we go in and we don't based on partly is based on the way that we were parented. And we either like, or don't like mimic, not mimic, but also our personality types, as you said as well, like how mm-hmm. it's or flee? How do we handle in stress? How do we handle in all of these different situations? How do we handle in our way that we communicate? How do we handle in the way we're appreciated? Yes. Are so different that even the way we view our kids. So one kid may have a love language that one of us has, and we feel so appreciated by this child and the other mm-hmm. the parent doesn't yeah. because love language being experienced. Mm-hmm. Child. So just, it's so fascinating how all of this relates to like careers as you're doing and personality with our kids yes yes um, i find as well like the love languages where i brought it in in my practice is working with first responders and my husband like oh, we were yeah. and when they come home they are beyond exhausted and these yeah. kids want their love tank filled yes and so my husband used to kind of get frustrated because my one he would try to sit and play a game with them my one mm-hmm. son's all in it. He's sitting there. He's in it. He's engaged. He's right there because he's quality
1: time. Quality time. Yeah.
0: My other son though, fidgeting, he's all over him. He's climbing all over him.
1: All touch. Him. <laughs> touch <he's all laughs>
0: him. So my husband started to realize that if he came home and asked my one to play a game and the other one crawled all over him and, and in between his turns, he would kind of like, you know, give him hugs and you know, mm-hmm. playing with them on the floor and doing all that stuff, or he comes in and he gives them a high five or he makes sure that he hugs that child. The other one, he has to ask the child how his day is. And he mm-hmm. starts realizing very, very quickly how to fill these two kids' buckets. Yes. And once these kids' buckets are done, they're off. They yeah. go. And then my husband has space to breathe and mm-hmm. has this moment to be like, okay. Nope. Yep. <laughs> but instead of him being frustrated mm-hmm. and oh my God, like, why is this kid crawling all over me? I'm trying to do this with this one and getting frustrated and making it this mm-hmm. moment actually stresses them out more. And then they're not getting their love buckets filled. Yep. And and then they want more time with him and he doesn't have any time downtime. Right. So that's been huge in helping them mm-hmm. as well from that. I didn't actually know that they had the, the
1: leadership one. They so do. Yeah and and they even break the assessments down into a lot of different careers. And so they do have I think they have just done one for for um I think they might have one for first responders. I'm not positive on that. I know they have for like military, teachers, ministry, they just yeah. released one for dentists.
0: <laughs> read the the I so I've done the adult one, the child one and I've read the military one. And mm-hmm. The military one, same, I, I, what I found the most effective actually was the adult one Mm -hmm. and, but looking at it because the child, one, I just, I kept my brain just kept going and and it was, it was almost, um, it didn't engage me enough, Mm. but what I did was took the adult one and went, okay, how can I work this with the kids how can yep. I work this with kids now? And I've taken the adult one as well. I didn't know there's a leadership one. And with a lot of the first, some of the first responders as they're going into leadership, we've worked in that and figured out, okay, how can you do this with your crew? How can you find out what their love language is? So yeah. really yeah. Sure
1: now read this. Yeah. One. Yeah. Appreciation at work. Um, there's a website uh, for that.
0: I'll check that out. Okay. I'll Put that in the show notes for sure. All um, right. Yeah. This has been absolutely amazing. we do need to be be mindful of everybody's time who's listening as well yes yes super helpful um so before we go um two things one is uh links that people can find you and we do have those in the show notes so people can go into the show notes and find those so first off how can people find you
1: I'm out in all those places. I'm on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I have a YouTube that I haven't done a lot with yet, but I'm I'm working on um, getting a little bit more onto that, but all through Dandelion Leadership Coaching. Dandelion Leadership Coaching. Okay. Yes.
0: It's down in the show notes. So just pop down there. It's there. Not sure if I have your YouTube, so please pass that on to me okay. if I do- you have passed it on but if not i don't
1: know that i did because i have so little on there right now but i, I have maybe four or five um, well we
0: mentioned it there so we've got to put it out there right. because we know this will be out there for a while okay all right so now last thing before we go uh-huh. one piece of advice for somebody that is in a toxic workplace
1: um I'd say, you know, ask that question of where is the toxicity coming from? Is it coming from the leader? Is it coming from a coworker that just grates you wrong? Um, Are you contributing to it somehow? Um, And then once you kind of identify that, what can you do about it? You know, is there something that you can just stop engaging in some of the conversations you know, some people can't talk about politics or certain things. And if you can just try to avoid those topics, maybe it'll kind of even some things out. But if it's a toxic um, boss, is there an avenue for you? Is there some place that, you know, what is your company's policy? Can you go to a supervisor and talk to them about the issues? Can you go to someone Um else and, and just say, these are the issues that I'm seeing. What can we do about this? Um, But if it's something where you're sick all the time, you're, you know, you're losing sleep, your quality of life is gone. You um, are fighting with the people at home all the time. You know, it may be time to look at leaving. And, and in my book, I hope it's okay to to plug this. There is a chapter on um, toxic workplaces and how to know when to leave Mm -hmm. and, um, and a whole section on how to, how to leave gracefully and how to do it if you're going to find a job first or if you're going to leave first. So there's a lot of good tips in there.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So definitely go and check out Gaila's website, get her book. Um, absolutely. That's, there's going to be so much valuable information in there. I know I work with the deep burnout in people and help them get Mm -hmm. out of burnout. Um, having that avenue with leadership. If you are a leader, you can still benefit absolutely from all that Gaila yeah. is doing. Yeah. Into-
1: and even that book, even though some of it is really geared to helping people get a job and keep a job, the first section is on all these things we talked about with appreciation languages and personality type and strengths and getting to know ourselves better. and um, And then there's sections on, you know, how to just, how to do a better job at work and And then how to leave gracefully and stuff. So there's a lot of personal um, help types of things in it too. And even if you're not looking for a new job.
0: I can already think of a few people that I know are going to absolutely benefit from your book so thank you so much for having us uh for having
1: us for coming on yeah, and yeah thank you for having me on your your podcast yeah,
0: thanks for sharing all of your wisdom with us this has been absolutely amazing anybody has any questions go on to Guylas link reach out to her and ask her any questions
1: that you do like, love yeah um, Um, And if if I might just add, you know, you talked a a lot on the personal side of things and I was talking on the business side of things. And, and one thing I think is it's all interconnected and, you know, if things are bad at home, then you're going to take that to work and act out at work. And then if things are bad at work, you're going to take that home and, and act it out there. And so I'm looking, you know, what I hope to do is self-awareness. That helps people be more self-aware and how they can apply that in their personal lives and their work lives. So that when we have happier families, we have happier work lives, we have happier communities and, you know, and it's a whole cycle. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: it's it really is. That's what we we do talk a lot in in this entire podcast about how there's so many pieces of this puzzle. Mm and it's yeah. not just one thing. So right. and that's it. If you just leave that toxic workplace but do not make the changes that we spoke of about right. never taking vacations, not taking care of yourself, only putting everything in that one bucket. Right. I mean these are just a few of the other pieces, but if right. you don't work on those other pieces, mm-hmm. when you go you're going to get back into burnout, mm-hmm. toxic workplace or not, if you don't change some of the habits that also yeah. Because it's not just the toxic boss that has,
1: right. it. it is a, a cons- it's our own behaviors as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, that old saying, whatever, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you everybody for listening to the burnout expert podcast. If you want, as we know, all of Gaila's information is down in the show notes. Mine is as well. If you want to go into my deep burnout work for everybody into more information on this podcast, go to burnoutexpert.ca. If you want to go into my work with first responders, that's 911lifestyle.com. All of those links are below. You can email me. Link is below. You can um, also uh, book a call to chat with me if you'd like to work with me. All of that is down below. You can also get on my email list. So go and look into the show notes, grab those links, do your research and reach out to either of us if you have any questions. We'll see you in the next episode.